Father God in heaven, thank you so much for the time that you're allowing us to have uh, right now. We, we are grateful for the time that we will have later on for in the devotional, but also the time that we have to visit, share each other's lives, uh, share each other's burdens, and share each other's blessings. Thank you so much for the baby, the new baby, Brett. And we pray that you'll be with the parents um, as, they, as they recover, but as they get ready for the, for the journey. And, and we're so grateful that you give us uh, new people in our lives to, to be stewards of, to, to rejoice over, to focus on, and to train. Um, we ask that we'll all, be, all see the opportunity and seize the opportunities to be a part of, of uh, Brett's life as well. We ask that you be with Eddie and, and the others as they prepare for the trip to, uh, to Africa. We pray that it'll be, if it's your will, it'll be a time of growth for everybody involved, that they all be safe. That, he, that Eddie will have great experiences, and, and thank you for uh, allowing us to be excited with him as they get ready to go. We ask that you be uh, with with the babies that are have yet to be born, with the Knuckles baby, with Albright's baby, with Amik's baby. We ask that you um, keep everybody healthy that is involved, and we ask that that um, we ask that that we'll we'll see the opportunities there as well. We're thinking about Betty Sue. We pray that she'll feel better as soon as possible, if it's your will. And we pray that um, the people taking care of her will, will do so in a way that she'll be blessed and they'll be blessed as well. Be with Lloyd and, and the rest of the family as well. We ask that you um, would bless James Johnson and Lenny Fay at this time. And we, we're um, bringing them to you in, in our prayers. And we're grateful that you're a God who listens. And so we ask a blessing on them. At this time, and we're grateful for the trip that we had in the Philippines. We ask that you be with those people over there, the, the brothers and sisters who are striving to be faithful and to grow together. And thank you so much for the health of those congregations over there, those churches. And we're grateful for the time that, that John and I had um, to grow closer to them and to form new relationships. And we pray that we'll nurture those relationships over overseas and that we will make you happy in doing so. Thank you for this time of class. And we pray that we'll be good students. We pray that our hearts and our minds will be open, that we will take in information and, and uh, utilize it in our lives. We pray that it will be a time of, of sharing and a time of of. Uh, gleaning knowledge from from the lesson. Be with the teachers throughout the the uh, building as a new quarter starts on Wednesday, and we pray that um, they'll be blessed and that the students will be blessed as well. Thank you for all the preparation that went in uh, to their classes, and thank you for them being willing to teach. Thank you so much for life, and thank you so much, most of all, for Jesus. And we pray in His name, Amen. Alrighty. Questions from the New Testament. Questions um, that we're going to have throughout the uh, the quarter. Questions are, are great. Adults adults ask an average of about, think about this. Well, I'll, do, I'll go with the kids. Kids ask an average, children ask an average about uh, 125 questions a day. Now, you, you, children may vary um, depending on their age. What's, what's, what's the main question a young, children, a young child asks? Why and what did you say? What did you say, Claude? Where <laughs> he said, "Where did I come from?" I don't know if you, yeah. why am I here. Well, the philosophical questions later on, but why? And then you explain, and then why? And so children ask about 125 questions. Adults ask about, on average, six questions a day. Isn't that interesting? I just asked one. Uh, oh, 
I get more because I'm teaching the class, so I get to ask more. Um, but six, so but somewhere in between childhood and adulthood, we lose about 119 questions a day. I don't know why. I guess we stop wondering about things and being inquisitive. I don't know what the and maybe that you know, I believe that to an extent. I know that there are adults who ask a lot of questions and adults who don't ask many questions. But th here's some quotes about children's curiosity. And so listen to these. Someone has said, a child's innate curiosity, the, the curiosity that they are born with, a innate curiosity about life is instilled in them at birth by the one, by the one who longs to be discovered. Pretty cool. Think about that. Their curiosity is given by God who wants to be discovered. Another quote. The more questions they ask, the more they discover about the world around them. The more they discover about the world around them, the more they discover about the one who made them. And so and that's that. Hopefully that's true for us as parents raising children to ask about God, to learn about God. And then finally, um, the right question asked at the right time will change a life forever. So asking questions is a good thing, for the most part. There are times when, when you just want the questions to stop. But asking questions is a good thing. And we're going to talk about Jesus for a while, for several lessons throughout the quarter. We're going to talk about Jesus asking questions. Throughout the quarter, though, we won't be answering or looking at the questions that just Jesus asked. We'll be looking at different questions. But in the New Testament, he asked a lot of questions. And his questions cut Right to the chase a lot of times, just cutting people to the heart, people having to dig deeply inside themselves to not just answer the questions, but uh, contemplate and absorb the questions. Over 180 questions that Jesus asks in the New Testament, over 180. So that that's someone who asks more than six. We're not going to try to answer all of those questions, obviously. We're not going to try to answer 180. And I know when Alan does his the questions in the Old Testament, he would answer or he would work on a couple of questions at a time, maybe three. I'm just going to do one at a time and so see how that goes. And if we run out of time, we'll just go stare through the double doors at Eddie. He will like that. I know he will love that. Um, not really. Okay, so not all of them. So, so the first question, let's get to the first question. Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5 is our first one. It's not the first one he asked, but it's the first one we're looking at. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 47, there, there are a couple of questions um, in there. Uh, in verse 47 of chapter 5. But we're going to look at this question at the end of the statement. If you greet your brethren only, and then the question, what do you do more than others? What do you do more than others? Okay, <clears throat> there are things that everyone does, but what do you do more than others? So we're working out of Matthew 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're looking at this, this situation. Let's, let's read from 38 to uh, 42, and then we'll continue from there. 48 through 42, just to set the scene. Um, I mean, 38, sorry, 38, not 48 to 42. We're reading backward. 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. 
And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good things who, who, to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, um, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and the sins, the rain on the just and the unjust. So let's start with this idea. Um, loving your enemies, you shall love your neighbor. It, it, what, what, what's the setting? What is the setting in this situation? Where's Jesus talking? What do we call this? Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. So this is a time when Jesus is, is, is preaching a sermon, and it is a ground-shaking sermon. I mean, it's huge. He, he's turning the world on, it, on its end, turning it upside down, especially for the Jews who are listening and he's teaching about here. Now he's, he's focusing on this little area, loving your enemies. And it's big stuff. I mean, it's about it, it. What he says is a hard pill to swallow. What he says is on paper. Oh, OK. Love your enemies. That's fine. <laughs> and then and then it comes time to actually do it. And that's another story. So he says so. So he contrasts that to the teaching of uh, of the Mosaic law in, in Matthew 538. You've heard it. That it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So he's stating something uh, from the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and it, and that's fine. Except now he's going to turn it around. Now he's going to change it. Forty-three. He also says, notice in forty-three, you've heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, then the contrast comes, and and he changes the attitude. He changes direction, and he just doesn't like veer off a little bit. He turns it around completely, I, I believe. So in 44, he says, love your enemies. And you can stop there and just imagine the people saying, uh, excuse me, what did you just say? Because they're used to the teaching. Bless those who curse you. Um, okay, now it's getting a little harder. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So... You think about that and you think about the, how hard that, that it will be, would be to take this in. Je and Jesus is a great... Jesus has their attention. I imagine that he has their attention by now. If he hadn't had him, had it before. But he's a master teacher. This isn't the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's been talking for a while. And I believe that people are... I, I, I would think um, that people are on edge. Several years ago at camp, um, one, of the, one of the youth ministers there, Mike Kuba... Um, Kenny knows him, um, grew up knowing him, going to camp. He, he bought, word for word, his sermon that Mike did uh, on a, uh, during the evening when we all gathered together was word for word the Sermon on the Mount. And that was it, word for word. And, and think about all the words. But we were enthralled. Not that he could remember every. I mean, that was impressive. But the way his inflection and his emotion, and he would stop and, and sometimes Jesus would say something um, Kind of funny, and he would he would kind of chuckle when he said it. We don't we don't think about that happening, but when you read it and you hear it, then you realize it does. So he has their at their uh, he has their attention, I believe. And then he says this: Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. Did Jesus exemplify this? Yes. When? When do you? When do? You, what do you think about when Jesus uh, exemplifies this? Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, on the cross. 
on the cross. Did he pray for those persons? Yes, absolutely. He did. He prays for those who persecutes him. And then so he's dying on the cross. Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. They don't they don't know what they're doing. Our example. And he hasn't he hasn't set that example yet. But he says that he says what he says in Matthew five. And he does what he says in Luke 23 and, and, and other verses. So he, he's our perfect example in that. But it's hard. It, it is difficult to, to, we have enemies. Well, what does an enemy do? When you think about a personal enemy, what are they like? I mean, what, what attributes do they have that make them your enemy? This is a discussion question, so. What are some attributes that you, a personal enemy might have to make them our enemy? Well, they might hate us. <laughs> might hate our guts, you know. And so, that doesn't make them our enemy because we're Christians. But, but the the qualities of an enemy to an enemy. They don't like each other. Enemies don't like each other. What else? Not necessarily a Christian to, but, but I'm just talking about two, two people who are enemies of each other. Maybe countries, you can say. They don't like each other. What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think of ways to injure. Think of ways to hurt. Think of ways to, to make the other person miserable. An enemy, enemy does that. And so what do you do when two enemies come together? There's a battle. There's a war. And, and Jesus is saying that, no, 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 that's not the way it's going to work. Your enemy comes to you, just love him, pray for him, um, take care, you know, offer things to him. And then our motivation, notice 45 of Matthew 5, our motivations. So 44 says, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 45, here's the motivation, it's incredible, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Why would you want to do why, why? What would motivate me to be nice to my enemies? What would motivate me to pray for those who, who persecute me? What would motivate me to, to bless those who curse me? Because I want what? To be a, a child of my Father in heaven. That should motivate us. That should make us want to, to try. Now, again, it's easy. It's, it's almost, it, to me, at least... It's a struggle to love those who really dislike me. I mean, let me know throughout the years, and we've all experienced that. It's, it's a struggle to love them at first. But, it, but think about the times that you've been treated with love by someone you didn't like. What, what happens uh, when that, when, when you, so there, there's animosity but one of the parties just decide, okay, I'm going to love you. Might be in a marriage, might be a friendship. Um, we've hope, not hopefully, but most likely we've all experienced that. Um, what happens? You're thrown off guard. You know, you think about that. You think you're coming to fight, and they say, "I'm sorry, I was wrong." You're thrown off guard. Um, so it almost seems impossible. But if it were impossible, I mean, if it, if it were impossible, think about this. If it were impossible to love our enemies and, and treat those who persecute us, pray for those, if it were impossible, would Jesus have taught it? Now, it might be impossible for us to do by ourselves without God, without Christ, without Christ's example, without, without um, being forgiven ourselves. But we wouldn't be taught if, that we need to have that attitude if it were impossible. So we go over to Romans chapter 12, and I'll give you time to get there. Romans chapter 12. More teaching on this subject. Romans chapter 12. 
And I'm going to read 17 through 21. So in the context of forgiving other people and loving our enemies. And so uh, think about this. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil. So notice this first of all. Repay no one evil for evil. What does that, what does that, uh, what can we infer from that? Well, someone paid evil to someone. So, so in order to, in order to obey this, this, uh, teaching, someone has to do evil to someone. Does that make sense? Because you can't not repay evil for evil if evil hasn't been already done. I, I think that's what I get from it. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much depends on you, verse 18, live peaceably with all men. Oh, boy, there's some teaching. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, here we go, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. I want to talk about that. If, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so... You will heap hot, co- you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's teaching, there's sandwich. Repay no one evil for evil. 21, don't be overcome by evil. Let's talk about verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Okay, so our enemy isn't going to, not that we, our Christians shouldn't have enemies. We shouldn't be thinking, okay, I have an enemy. And you might be thinking, and this is a, a I realize this, some years ago, but it took me a long time to realize it. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if they have something against me and they're not acting, uh, you know, they're, they're acting kind of ugly toward me, just because that's happening, they're not my enemies. They're my brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters uh, don't get along all the time, but that doesn't make them not, you know, not brothers and sisters. And so, brothers and sisters, we might, you know, have problems with each other. We need to work those out, but, they, but we are not each other's enemies. So what would the enemy be in this case? And it's teaching Christians, do, um, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what do you get from that? An enemy. Who, who would be your enemy as a Christian? Someone in the world, maybe. If they're hungry, feed them. Feed them what? What's, the, what's a good thing to feed someone who, who has it out for you or, or just is against your beliefs or whatever? What's a good thing to feed them? Not a knuckle sandwich. The gospel, yeah, food, spiritual food. And so give, if he's thirsty, give him a drink. How offsetting would that be? Here's some, you're hungry? Here, take this, chew on this for a, milk, for, for a little while. Or, or drink this. Well, notice, n- notice verse 20 at the end of it. For in do, so doing, you will, heap hot, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Oh, there's some motivation. Take him out of the game. With niceness, with niceness, that's not even a word, with kindness, and you will make them miserable. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. No, that's not the motivation at all. What's the motivation? Again, we go back to Matthew so that we can be children of God. Not that we can, you know, heat pot coals on their heads. We don't want to do that. So that's not our motivation. That's just what happened. And think about that. Um, someone comes, someone has it out for you. You love on him. And I know a friend who, who who deals with this, not on a regular basis, has dealt with, and, and someone will come up and criticize him, and he'll be getting riled up and bowed up in his response, and he's learned to say, okay, thank you. You know I love you, right? So the, so the criticizer has this thrown at them, I love you. What are you going to do with that? 
you know, beat them up or something. You know, don't love me. I, you don't love me. I'm, I'm, I'm letting you have it. Anyway, so it's not impossible to have this attitude. And so from the verse in Romans um, that we look at what, and this is a question for everybody, what are some things that, from reading Romans um, chapter 12, what, 17 through 21, what are some things that, that help us in this verses? In these verses, what are some things that might make it easier for us to love our enemies? Looking at these verses in Romans 12, realizing maybe... Realizing that they're hungry, that they're, 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 they're not bad people, they're just hungry, realizing that. What else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's true. And so I don't know if you heard the comment, but Jesus said he would repay, and so they're bringing punishment on themselves. And that shouldn't satisfy us. That should wake us up and, and sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Rather than looking at them as an enemy, we have pity on them and we want them to go to heaven. Because if we, if we, if we teach them the way of the Lord and we teach them the gospel and they accept it, they're not, they won't see us as an enemy, as an enemy anymore. And so even, and Jesus says, even the tax collectors live by the standard of, of returning good for good to an extent. Um, the Jews, okay, and what do we know about tax collectors? The Jews, they had to pay taxes to whom? Roman government. And so who co collected the taxes? Yeah, the Jews themselves. Um, and so how would they make money? How would the Jews, how would they make a living? So they had to, they had to collect a certain amount. Yeah, yeah, it was okay with the Romans, and and the more I don't know, the more the bigger a uh, uh, not a posse, but it, you know a mob that you had working for you, strong men, the more you make, and and we know that because of Zacchaeus. You know what, how did Zacchaeus get so wealthy? He was a wee little man, so he's not walking around saying, "Give me the money." He's got to have help. Um, that's that's what I used to. I mean, I still think that. So anyway, so tax collectors, they were looked down upon. Because of their occupation, they were looked. They seen. They were seen as traitors. Some of the lowest class of people in society. And then Matthew four, five forty six. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So, so Jesus is using their status um, to to, uh, to to teach them. And and so he said, even tax collectors love those who love him, uh, who love them. And then in Luke six thirty two, listen to this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And so Christians are called to be drastically different than how sinners, than sinners, obviously. I mean, we, we, Christ never says, y'all need to be sinners too. No, he wants us to not be sinners, to be opposite. And so... And so sinners treat each other with love because they're loved. Tax collectors greet um, their kind. Uh, and um, Matthew 5, 47, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. If you greet, and that, that word greet would be to salute, to, to, to give respect to, um, literally, means, literally means to embrace. So if you embrace your brothers, um, 
you know, don't the tax collectors do the same thing? What do you do more than them if you embrace? And I, I read that, you read that scripture, and who do you think of embracing, embracing people uh, when they greet them? Anyone come to mind? George. When I read that, it's George. I mean, he, you know, he embraces everybody and sometimes gives me a kiss, and that's kind of a little uncomfortable, but um, that's okay. That's okay. So we salute, but greeting people involved a salutation. It was a form of courtesy. It showed a feeling of decency toward the one who was being greeted. And the Jews would refer would, would refuse to greet a Gentile. John 4, 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so they, they would just flat out refuse. And Jesus is saying, tax collectors greet each other. But we are called to be different. We greet everyone. And this congregation, I, I believe that this congregation is, is so good. This family here is so good about greeting people who are outside this family. You know, people come in and, and we don't know them. And, and they've never. And you know people who have been coming on a regular basis. They, they've never gone to church or they've never gone to a church of Christ. And, and it's different to them. And they are, I, watch, they're surrounded by y'all. And it's a great thing. And, and I don't know how many times I've heard, I just I came in and I just felt like I was home. Because, because y'all are greeters. Y'all are, uh, you, you give those kind of greetings. And that's the way it should be. So Christians shouldn't greet, greet Christians like George does. Not that we all need to kiss each other. That would be really an, an unsanitary. So, no. When we, anyway, I'm not going to go on with that. So, so we greet sinners as well. And I think y'all do a, a good job. And they need to know... And they need to know and understand and feel that we're not looking down our noses at them. And I don't believe that that anyone intends for that to happen here, maybe maybe somewhere else. But I know for sure that that, that this congregation doesn't tries not to make it seem like we're looking down our noses. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about this more. And, and I told John when we when we were in the Philippines, I said, you know what's going to happen? We're going to come back and we're going to say a hundred thousand times when we were in the Philippines. You know how that works. Um, it used to be Holland and, and, and that's fine. Or India when we were in India and now it's the Philippines. But they have a way of greeting that was just amazing. And, and maybe John will talk about this. To me, it was amazing. So. If you go up to someone and they're older than you to show a sign of respect, you take their hand and you put it to your forehead. That's pretty cool. And so John and, and, and the other preachers, there, there were four men, and we went to visit someone who was out of, hadn't been going to services and stuff. And there was a group of kids. They weren't part of the people who were going to go visit, but maybe ten kids. And they saw us, the big Americans, and... Uh, and they just ran up and started grabbing our hand, different kids, and just putting them. They, you know, they were just doing that. What a greeting. What a great greeting. A sign of respect. And I think that we do a good job here of greeting people and showing respect. So even sinners do, do good to those who, who do good to them. Um, we just read, I read Matthew chapter, I mean Luke chapter 6, um, and let's look at 33 and 35. I've read 30, 32 and 33, but let's just go over to 6 and look at 33 and through 35. Then I'm going to shift gears in, in a couple of minutes. So Luke 6, 33 and 35, we already read, If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you for even sinners do the same? 
And, and Jesus has already taught, do good to those who do bad to you. Romans 12 teaches, do, you know, love them and feed them. And then he goes on in 34, if you lend to those from whom, uh, Luke 6, 34, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? That's not lending, though, is it? It's giving. So you read the word lend and you think, oh, but it's not lending if, if I just give it to him. But, but Jesus is teaching, don't, what, what is it? I mean, what are you doing if you, if you uh, lend and you hope to receive back? What credit is that? So, and he says, for even sinners lend to sinners and receive much back. But, here we go, love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. What, is, what do you think the reward will be? So, so you give to those who need, you lend to those without expecting. You love them. What else did he say? Um, uh, you so you lend to those you love your enemies you do good you lend hoping for nothing in return your reward will be great what 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 are some of the rewards that we get from acting like that that come along with it now we're thinking when he says your reward will be great you probably automatically think that that's getting to heaven but I think there are rewards while if we had that attitude while we're on earth like what. Yeah, peace of mind, knowing whatever the case was, you did the right thing. And not to be right, but, but to be righteous, which is, you know, being right, but, but not to prove yourself right. But you did the right thing, and you have peace of mind. What else? Knowing the peace of mind, but also the joy in knowing that we've helped someone. Um, the joy and, and the reward. The rewards are great. So you think about that. Jesus says... And he keeps using example after example of the average. The tax collector, the sinner, they treat each other. That's the average. And Jesus says, let's be above average. Let's be more than that. Um, let's, you know, we're, we're taught that Jesus teaches all over and over again. And he almost demands that we live lives better than the average. And so what does the average teach? Well, well it, first of all, in, instead of man as, as our example, God is the standard. So how does he treat people with grace, mercy, uh, blessing them no matter what, but blessing them, especially when they're children of God? So Jesus is the Christian's example. And 1 Peter 2.21, listen, for, this, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And then our theme for the, for the year and sermons that you, that you should follow his steps. Jesus is the ultimate example. So we, we compare ourselves to others? No. Christians are non-Christians? No. Not according to God's will. We compare ourselves to God. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 12 backs that up by saying, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. It's not a wise thing. What, what, what trouble do we get in when we start comparing ourselves to other people that we well, just comparing ourselves. What, what kind of trouble might we get in rather than comparing ourselves to Jesus' example? When you compare yourself to other people, what happens? Like, it goes both ways, I think. But what directions might they go? That jealousy. Yeah. 
You might look at someone and just and envy them, and, and and you want you want the abilities they have, you want the situation they have, and and you're comparing yourself to their to them, and and that's not right. I mean, the, the jealousy, and 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 you're you're going to be miserable when you do that. The other way, think about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they go into the temple to pray. The other way is I can. So the tax collector compares himself, and and what what's the result there? He thinks he's better. I think he's better than them. So it goes both ways, I believe. Danger. What are some other? What are some other pitfalls? What are some other um, negative aspects of comparing ourselves to other people? Or yeah, other people. Think about that. And jealousy, haughtiness, and then how does it affect us? It, it, it can tear our. It can tear us down, and we're doing it ourselves. But we look at people and we just think, man, they've got it all together and I'll never be like that. I just, I'm trash. And so we, you know, might think of ourselves or the haughtiness. Man, I am so, I am just, I'm so glad that I am just so much better than them. And, and that's terrible. I mean, you'll fall. I mean, that'll set you up to fall. So Jesus is our example. Um, and, okay, so... When, you, when Jesus asks the question, so what are you doing more than others? What might we say? How might we answer that question? Well, what are you doing more than others? What can you do more than others? Well, first of all, how would you know that you're doing it more than others? You don't. <laughs> but but and your goal isn't to uh, win the contest of I'm doing more than others. But what can we do more of? Let's just ask that. What can we do more of that we're not doing enough of? And just as Christians, and we can just make this list and probably we can make it quickly. Um, we're not praying enough. Who's, who in here is praying enough? Too much. Maybe you're praying too much. No one. No one's going to say, well, I am. I'm just, I'm wasting so much. I, I mean, that's pretty much all I do. I, I need to get things done. <laughs> really? But you, are you praying without seats? Well, yeah, but uh, um, no, no, no. No one prays too much. What else can we do more? Uh, think about Jesus loving our enemy and doing good to those no matter what we can do more of that well how do we how do we know to do that how, how, how do we know when when and where to do that I don't know there are people in, in this room there are people who just do good things for people and then you find out about it or you know if you find out about it and you just think man why, why didn't I th- think of that? I don't know if you can relate to that. Why didn't I think to help them in that way? It's so simple, and yet there it is. People come up with those ideas, and I, I don't know how they do it consistently, but there are people in this room who, who do that consistently. What else can we do that we might not be doing enough of? More than these. Not, not more than other people, but more than what we've been doing. What else? What are some other things? Yeah. It just period. Yeah. Uh, um, Edie said maybe Bible study with others, and it starts with ourselves. Bible study on our own, our personal Bible study. Can we do too much of that? No. I pointed at Doug because he, he is the advocate of daily Bible reading. You know, he, he not the advocate, but but you know that that's very important to us, to all of us. But um, but I know it's you know Doug says it all the time. We need, and he said it last Sunday. We really need to be studying our Bibles, reading our Bibles every day. We don't do that enough. How much can you read too much of your Bible in a day? No, not at all. You can't. 
um, and, and you find ways. So, so we can do more of that. What else? Sorry? Yeah. What does that mean? Showing hospitality. You can, you, when you say that, we think, well, we gotta, gotta open our homes and start a bed and breakfast. And, you know, I mean, not, not like it, but what, what, how do you show hospitality? You let people into your homes, but you also just let people in to your lives. You, you, hospitality doesn't mean that, that, that you have someone, or even though you should be, you know, having, uh, people over. Some of us, some of us get a little uncomfortable with that, um, idea. And some of us, like people we're married to, really get excited about that idea, um, about having people over. And, and all, there are several of you who are just wonderful about that. But it doesn't necessarily mean having them over. You, what are some ways that we can show hospitality? When someone comes in here, we, we should be showing hospitality. But what do, you, what do you have in mind, Carrie? It's like hospitality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I worked with a preacher who uh, in in Oklahoma who would have people over all the time, and and every, every once in a while they would. They would people would come over after services and they and and Don would say, um, "We got bread and popcorn. What do you what do you want?" Because um, didn't. But but that fellowship was so sweet. Okay, people are getting ready to come in. Thanks for the comments. Thanks for the attention. And, and 